Amen. Bless the Lord, saints, as you are seated. Thank you so much for coming. How many enjoyed that time of ordination today? Wasn't that special? We should never get bored of that. One of the things that we need to remember as a church is that we're here to put the Word of God into action, and part of that is raising up leaders. And so I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and onward. We just got out of the Revelation series, and that was a good time. How many enjoyed the Revelation series? Amen. You learned something about Revelation? Well, now during this season, I'm going to allow the Lord to speak to me during the service about each message. So this might actually encourage you to go back to our uh, you know, Facebook page or app. You can get it on Google or Apple. Just go Metro Praise International because the messages are going to be different from first to second service. Everybody go, ooh, ooh, yeah. So if you want to now check out the first service message, go back to the app. Check it out online. It was called Fullness, and it was very incredible. Encouraging to those who need to know their identity in Christ and grow closer to the Lord. Today I want to talk about faithful men and women of God. Somebody say faithful. Thank you. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18 and onward. Then Jesus came to them. Who is speaking here? Jesus. He came to them. And this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who has all the authority? Joe Biden. The politicians? Now, who has all the authority? Jesus, not the kings and queens, not politicians, not rich people. Jesus has all the authority. It's been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey some things that I commanded you, just the easy stuff. Is that what it says? It says, teach them to obey what? everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Can there exist a thing called progressive Christianity? No, it can't even exist because progressive Christianity in its very name says that we need to progress from what Jesus said. Oh, that's what Jesus taught back then? Oh, we don't need to teach that now. That's the exact opposite of Christianity. Christ-anity, that word Christ at the beginning tells you what it's all about. Anity, or what we put at the end, the suffix, just shows you that those who are doing it. So are you about Christ or are you not? It's like trying to say you're a Christian Muslim. Can you be a Christian Muslim? No. Can you be a meat-eating vegan? Come on, somebody. That helped you out right there. Some of you like, okay, I got that example, Pastor. You break it down a little bit. I get it, you know. Can you be a Cubs Sox fan? No, let's keep it real, right? You can't. You, you got to choose one, right? And so when it comes to Christianity, it's Christ. It's his way. We don't need to go back to Jesus' life and kind of filter it for the 21st century. We don't need to say, well, you know, Jesus, he affirmed the marriage of one man and one woman, but we, you know, we know if he was here today, he would affirm one man, many women, or one man with another man, or one man with a man and a woman and a pet, or whatever they're doing these days. We know Jesus would be progressive. That's impossible. Because God in the flesh, that's who Jesus is. Please open up the new tab, John 1.1. Just remind everybody who Jesus is. He is not just a good teacher. He is not just our Buddha, our enlightened one. He's not just giving us fortune cookies. According to the scriptures, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was... God, thank you. Go to 114. And the Word became flesh. Verse 14, please. And the Word became what? Flesh and made his dwelling among us. So in the beginning was Jesus as the Word. He existed with the Father and was God like the Father. And then he tabernacled, made himself to dwell with us. Look at that. It says he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus pitched an earth suit and came to hang out with us. Isn't that pretty awesome? You want to go camping. Jesus wanted to go humanitying. 
He wanted to become a person so that being the God-man, he could take on for us our sins, the things that we had done against the law, and to redeem us so that we might serve and please him. Going back to Matthew chapter 28, please. We see that Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is how I know progressive Christianity cannot exist because it says, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. How long is Jesus with us? To the very end of the what? The age. And we learned about the end of the age in Revelation, didn't we? Those of you who are new and visiting, thank you for coming. We just finished an exciting series on the book of Revelation with tons of charts and scary imagery. We went through the bowls of wrath. And so you can go back and listen to those notes and by God's grace understand about the end of the age. But today, the end of the age has not ended. Am I right? Are we still in the same age that Peter and Paul and James and John were in? Last time I checked, Jesus hasn't come back yet to get his church. Therefore, we are to teach people to obey everything Jesus commanded. But now understand this. We are not the first generation to be countercultural. Everybody say countercultural. You see, what we're learning right now is that everything needs to be cross-cultural, and that's okay and acceptable in certain things. When it comes to the food we eat, cross-culture. Everybody say cross-culture. How many like some tacos that aren't from Mexico? Come on. How many like some ibaritos, but you're not from Puerto Rico? How many like the, the pizza, but you're not from uh, Italy, huh? <laughs> African-Americans like what you're going to pick for us, Joe. You better be careful now what you're going to pick for us. How many like church's chicken? <laughs> I had to go. I'm sorry. I, I lived in New Orleans, y'all. Do I get a little bit of a southern card on that? I know African-Americans like, what's he going to pick out? That's right. We got our favorite chicken place being shouted out here. You know what I'm saying. You got to find your favorite food from each culture. How many like the buffets of culture when it comes to food? I'm going to get a little bit of soul food. I'm going to get a little bit of this. I'm going to get a little bit of pasta from their towns. And we mix it up. But how many know you don't go cross-culture when it comes to religion? We don't go cross-culture when it comes to the things of God. We can share each other's culture, and even our culture can be embraced as long as it doesn't go against the things of God. Otherwise, it's Christ over culture. When I go back into the Italian past, they weren't worshipers of God. They were pagans. When you go back into the Latino culture, African culture, when you go back to our people, we don't all trace back to Jews. Most of us don't trace our people back to the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what we have to understand is that all of us need to go to the nation, starting with ours, teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded. He commanded the, the marriage of one man and one woman. That when he joins together, no one can separate. When we, as heterosexual Christians, started getting divorced, that opened up the door for the world to say, you're not keeping your rules, we're not going to keep the rules either. How many noticed that when no-fault divorce started in the church among Christians, that's when homosexuals got their pass? You see, I believe if we in the church start living right, raising our families right, they wouldn't be able to stick their hand back in our face and say, shut up, hypocrite, we don't have to listen to you. It's about time church got the authority back by our lifestyles. We obey the commands first and then show them, right? If we obeyed the commands about not stealing and lying, we wouldn't be getting called out all the time for being Trumpians instead of Christians, right? They always try to point out our hypocrisy and say, well, you Christians, you say this, but you support this, and you guys behave like this, and then you're corrupt in these ways. How many know if we kept the commands of God in our marriages, in our businesses, we could have a place to speak into their lives? And that's where it needs to start. That's why when I start speaking to somebody and they say, well, all you Christians are like this, I say, let's not make general statements. You're talking to one Christian right now. Talk to me. What am I doing that gives you permission to call me a hypocrite or to get out of what I'm sharing with you? And then, by the way, even if I was a hypocrite, let's say I was the worst hypocrite when it came to some other area of life. Let's say like when it came to having a diet. Let's say you saw me breaking the diet all the time. I was always going to Dairy Queen like I'm trying to do now in the summer with my kids while I'm trying to get a six-pack. And Dairy Queen and six-pack, they don't go together too well. Are you guys tracking with me? But let's say that's true. Does that make health now not have a foundation of truth to it? Does healthy living lose its validity of truth because I'm a hypocrite about how I take on healthy living? 
Now remember, even if all Christians were hypocrites, does that take away the truth of what Jesus said? Let's say every Christian was looking at porn, getting prostitutes, being closeted homosexuals. Let's say every Christian was uh, doing dishonest things on their job. Would that ever take away from the truth and the validity of what Christ taught? No, so that, that doesn't even lead to where they think it leads, but I do agree with them in one sense, that if we're not living right, we shouldn't be teaching them to live right. But the Bible does tell us how to get it right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 on a new tab there because this is their famous verse that they'll use against us the moment we want to teach all things that Jesus commanded. What are they going to say? Let's read it out together. One, two, three. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Or they'll say it in the King James. They'll be like all, all King James now. Thou shall not judge lest, like they ever use the word lest, lest you be judged. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I've never heard that scripture before. Thank you for telling me that for the 2,000th time today. No, this doesn't end right here, does it? It doesn't say don't judge or you too will be judged. Everybody just go on doing whatever you want. Keep reading. Somebody say keep reading. Thank you. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. So now we understand a little bit more of the context that hypocritical judgment is being condemned. Jesus is saying, by the measure you use, it's going to be used against you. But going to what we learned in Matthew 28, which comes a little bit after Matthew 7. What comes first, 7 or 8? What comes first, 7 or 28? Thank you. So 7 comes first, right? So whenever we learn at the end of Matthew that we're supposed to teach all that Jesus commanded, part of it is to teach this command, right? Is everybody tracking with me? And what does the command say? Not to teach commands? Don't worry about commands. Everybody just do their own thing. No, the command is do not judge by a different standard. This is where we're supposed to insert here. Do not judge by a different standard other than the commands of God. Because if you judge by a standard other than the commands of God, you're going to be judged by another standard other than the commands of God. Does everybody get the context? Because how many know we're all going to be judged by the commands of God no matter what? But what it's saying here is if you are a hypocritical judger, then not only will you be judged by the commands of God, you'll be judged by your hypocritical judgments. So part of your judgment, specifically hypocritical judger, is to have hypocrisy brought up against you and your faults brought up against you. Even in minute details that you try to do to others, God says, I'm going to now give you a taste of your own medicine. It's not that there's not going to be commandments or judgments. It's that the hypocritical judger is going to be judged even more severely. But let's go to even more clarification. Somebody say, make it plain. Thank you. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Get the illustration. you got a speck of dust in your eye, and uh, excuse me, your brother has a speck of dust in their eye, but you have a big plank in your eye, and you're trying to, with a plank eye, do like surgery and get out a little speck of dust. That's what he's saying. He says, why are you doing that? But keep going. How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye while the whole time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. Notice this. He calls him a hypocrite. Somebody say, you hypocrite. Notice he calls them names. He says, you hypocrite. You first must take the plank out of what? Your own eye. Then do what? You will see clearly to remove the plank from your brother's eye. So do you stop making judgments altogether? Do you stop trying to take out specks altogether? No. How does it work? If you're going to make a judgment, you do it based on the word of God. If you're going to try to preach to someone, you're going to do it from you listening to the preaching first. And then you can take and help other people or take that speck out of their eye. Now look at verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. How would you know what a dog is unless you made a judgment over who a dog is? You notice that? Come on, somebody. He says, don't give to what? dogs what is sacred how many know you got to make a judgment on whether somebody's a dog or a sheep because that's the opposite right so do you think he's telling us in this conversation not to make judgments on his word no he's actually telling us the opposite he's saying make judgments on my word because if you make judgments on your own standards you're a hypocrite so he goes do not give dogs what is separate do not throw pearls to who 
Pigs, so you got to know what a pig is in life. Ladies, have you ever met any pigs in life? Come on, ladies, don't get shy in church. Have you ever met any pigs? Have you ever met any dogs? All right, y'all being quiet now in church. Yes, but you had to make a judgment, didn't you? But your judgment of that person, that male barking at you, hitting on you in the wrong way, just using the ladies as an example, when you made that judgment, they were a dog or they were acting like a pig, were you doing it on a standard outside of the scriptures or were you doing it based on a standard in the scriptures? Hopefully from the Bible, right? Because if a man's going to come at you, he needs to come correct without foul language, serving God, being an example, right? So that's an example. You met a dog. You made a godly judgment. You met a pig. You made a godly judgment. And it says, if you do not do this the right way, then they will trample you under their feet and turn to tear you to pieces. So put this together with what Jesus talked about in Matthew 28. If you could uh, put it up there, please. He said, go into all the world. Go into all the world. Make disciples of the nations. Somebody say, make disciples of the nations. Thank you. So to do that, you have to get involved in their lives. You have to discern their behavior. Don't you discern the, the behavior of a babysitter? If you're going to hire a babysitter, how many of you discern the behavior? How many are not going to let a dog or a pig babysit your children? Come on, somebody. How many are not going to let your creepy cousin babysit them if they have an issue, right? Okay, so you make judgments. You're making judgments, but you're not making the kind of judgments the world makes. You're making right judgments to make disciples, and then you're teaching them to obey everything, and you're supposed to do that from the point that you're obeying everything. Go to John chapter 7, new tab, please. Chapter 7, verse 21. Turn in your Bibles there. Somebody say, judge righteously. Judge righteously. See, the world wants to take away your ability to judge and make discerning decisions based on right or wrong. But you need that ability. You need that street smarts. And you need to do it spiritually. Look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus is talking to them. He said, I did a miracle. You're amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually didn't come from Moses, it came from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry for me for healing a man's body on the Sabbath? So they were upset with him that he was healing on the Sabbath, but he was saying, hey, you can do circumcision on the Sabbath, so I should be able to heal on the Sabbath. And now highlight verse 24, please. Everybody say, stop judging. Say, stop judging. Hold on. Stop judging by mere appearances. Now look at your neighbor and say, judge correctly. Judge correctly. See, that's the scripture. Does everybody get it? So when people say, oh, you're not supposed to judge, incorrect. I am supposed to judge, but I'm supposed to judge correctly. I am supposed to make judgments in the world. You're supposed to make judgments. As a matter of fact, everybody's making judgments everywhere they go. How many are judging whether or not a stoplight is showing you a red, a yellow, or a green light? How many know you made a judgment on that? How many know if you're in somebody's car and it shows red and they're driving like it's green, you're going to start grabbing hold of them to stop, you know? Like if you're driving in that car with them and they're driving, going through a red, you're going to stop them. And if they said back to you, don't judge me, what are you going to say? I, I need to judge you because you're about ready to kill us. Do you understand? You're about ready to kill us. And so you make judgments all the time. How many know if somebody, you know, if somebody here was going to hurt us, pull out a gun, we're going to make a judgment. Well, you know, well, I was just pulling out my gun because I felt like it as they're shooting everybody. No, you, we don't care what you feel like right now. And yes, there are times when the judging between appearances and judging correctly gets a little blurred. You're right. There are times when that happens in society and culture, and it calls for wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. Go to Proverbs. Next tab, please. Proverbs chapter 1. We have to be able to have God's wisdom to make discerning decisions. Discern to make a decision. How many make discerning decisions? Look at it. Chapter 1 of Proverbs. This is the book that helps us to be wise in making our decisions. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining what? Wisdom. What are you going to gain when you study this book? Wisdom and what else? Instruction for understanding words of what? Insight for receiving instruction in what? Prudent behavior. Now watch this. Doing what is right and just and fair. Thank you for giving prudence to those who are simple. Look at your neighbor. Don't say anything. Just look at them see if they're simple. Just take a look at them. No, you ain't simple. Somebody's like, don't you look at me crazy. I'm not simple. But how many know there are some simple people out there? There's some simple-minded people. What are you supposed to do for simple-minded people? You are to give them prudence. 
You are to help simple-minded people. Like Mr. T said, I pity the fool. You are to help some fools out there. And then knowledge and discretion to the young. If you're sitting next to a young person, say, I'm going to give you some knowledge. Tell a young person, I'm going to give you some discretion. And now look at the end here. Thank you. It says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning, the discerning, those who know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Going back to Matthew chapter 28. Let me say faithful disciples. Thank you. What we need in this day and age is people that have the authority of Jesus Christ that are going to make disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's what it's going to take in this culture. Because if you and I are looking at the culture going, oh, Dios mío, what's going on? Oh, my God, please help us. And not doing anything about it, then we're really just praying hot air. We need to be the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers into the harvest. We need to be a part of the answer to Jesus' prayer that his kingdom would come and will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this authority that Jesus has given us has been passed down from generation to generation so that faithful disciples can teach it and preach it and live by it. When we look at the teachings of Jesus, it covers all the aspects of life. As I've mentioned before, the marriage aspect, and that right now seems to drive people crazy that Jesus taught that the husband, uh, that, that the marriage is the husband and wife scenario. It's one husband, one wife, that's it. And so they often say, show me one place in the Bible where Jesus spoke against homosexuality. And they think then, if Jesus didn't talk about it, yay, I get a pass to be a homosexual. What can we say back to that? Show us where Jesus preached against pedophilia does the person who's a pedo do they get a pass now because we don't argue that way do we it's foolish here's how we argue jesus said sexuality was one man one woman everything else was an abomination he didn't have to go through the list and go okay this is how i define marriage one man and one woman and that means an adult with a child bad Two adults of the same gender, bad. You know, an adult with all these other genders and polyamory, bad. He didn't have to go through the, the, the list of all the world's perversions. All he had to do was give one criteria, and by that criteria, the foundation is laid. Can I hear an amen? If I start off a book that says sugar-free sugar -free, um, recipes, I couldn't think of the word recipe. Help me, Jesus. I get paid to talk for a living. Isn't that funny when this brain just stops? Somebody say sugar-free recipes. How many more times do I need to mention throughout the book that the recipes are sugar-free? We, we could be treating people like simpletons and said sugar-free recipes. Recipe number one, sugar-free jello. Recipe number, number two, sugar-free brownies. But how many know if the book starts off sugar-free recipes, how many know when you see brownies, you're going to assume that sugar is not in that recipe because the book is called sugar-free recipes. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If Jesus defined marriage as one woman and one man for life, how many more times does he need to tell you what he's not about? He's already told you what he's about. There is no question to what he's about. So the question to them is tell us where Jesus ever affirmed homosexuality because he affirmed heterosexual marriage. That's what he affirmed. I'm on what Jesus affirmed, not what you think he was silent on. Because his affirmation closes the door for anyone else to try to come in with something different. But it's not only in marriage. God talks about how we should treat each other, one race, the human race. When he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, how much more clear could he be? The Good Samaritan is literally called that and not the Good Jew because the Jew hated the Samaritans and was racist against the Samaritans. And so when he told the story, he wanted the one who looked like the hero to look like the best. He picked the one that they hated the most to be the hero to flip their world upside down. It would be like somebody during the time of the South talking to a bunch of white racists and making all of them look like the idiots of the story, but it's Kuta Kinte, that's the good one. And then you tell it to the whole racist church at that time. Do you understand? That was Jesus' way of saying, you guys are the idiots and the Samaritan is the right one. You guys are looking at people from the outside, but God is judging them from the inside. 
And so racism is a devil's lie. Jesus taught us that. How many know black lives mattered before a socialist movement called BLM ever said they mattered? How many know they mattered because God said they mattered when he made one race the human race? And so the Bible answers the question for racism. Now, can we join for social justice with other groups? Sure, but you better be careful what you are uh, saying by affirming those groups. So be careful what groups you join with. But I am definitely for racial equity and justice in the land. But we don't need someone outside of the Bible to teach us what what racism is. Racism is hatred. Racism Racism is stupidity. Racism comes in the form of oppression, and it's not what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, when we look to the the life of Jesus and his disciples, they probably all were people of color. I don't think any of them were Anglo, so we can just start right there. Can I hear an amen? They were were from parts of Africa. They were from parts of the Middle East, and they were from maybe certain parts of the Mediterranean, but definitely did not look like white, blonde-haired Jesus. But my point in saying that is, is that Jesus never had to mention their skin color because Judaism had united them. Some of them had come out of Egypt with the Jews and had started sojourning with them. They were known as strangers, but then they got adopted into the culture. Others had converted during the Assyrian or Babylonian captivity. You can read about them in the book of Acts. These people were called God-fearers or converts. And what they didn't do was judge each other on their skin because they knew they were already hated for what they believed by only believing in one God, the God of Israel. So instead of fighting amongst themselves, they were standing up against evil. And that's why when we look at Peter, we don't think of Peter. Was Peter from a part of Africa that might have had dark skin? Was he more from the Middle East and in the Northern Africa or Egypt area or from Syria? Where were these men? That was not a question. We didn't care. This is all that we cared about is that they were following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and now following the Christ. And so now in the church, should we make sure there's justice? Should we make sure there's equity? Yes. But should we all be focusing now on our skin colors? No, we should be focusing on the character of our content of our hearts and looking at how we're living and joining together red and yellow black and white, preaching Jesus Christ who shed his blood for everybody. Can I hear an amen? And so I feel like now the world wants us to take on their way of solving the problems. No, we'll solve the problem of broken families through marriages. That's how we'll solve the problems. We'll solve the problems of broken sexuality through answering the call to be sexually pure and holy as God has taught us to be. We'll answer the problems of murder and anger and hate towards races and and different cultures. We'll answer that through the love of of, of Jesus for one for another, treating one another as we want to be treated. The golden rule comes from our book. How many know the golden rule comes from our book? We don't need you to teach us how to treat others as ourselves. It comes right here. We'll teach you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We'll teach them how to love one another. Not only does the Bible address these kinds of issues that are now hot topics in our culture, but it also addresses how we are to raise our children. We are to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. How many believe that? How many believe it's good to teach your children to fear God? That they should be brought up with consequences. I'm not saying beat them or abuse them. I believe abusive parents need to be punished and brought to jail and retrained. Okay, but listen to me. How many know if we do not discipline our children, they'll grow up without the fear of consequences and then start running our street acting like nothing matters? And that's what we're seeing today because they haven't been brought up with consequences. That's why all of our communities, from any culture you look at in America today, we are all a disgrace to what our grandparents would have wanted to see us be 50, 60, 70 years ago. How many agree with that? How many agree with that? It doesn't matter if you're from the Polish culture, European culture, Latino culture, African culture. It doesn't matter. We were taught, all of us, from these uh, principles that were brought down to us, we were supposed to honor our father and mother. We were supposed to be people of integrity, learning the traditions that will be handed down to us, right? And then become productive in society. How many are heartbroken now to what's happening on our streets with young people? Humble Park, people getting pulled out of cars and murdered. Have you heard about that? Isn't it heartbreaking? And it just keeps going on and on. That the murdering and the killing of young people, all because that they have not learned the fear of repercussions. They don't fear going to jail. Jail is a joke to them. They don't fear God because they think God won't judge them. They always say only God will judge me, but that doesn't scare the hell out of them. So there's a problem, isn't there? They don't understand the God that is going to judge them. Some of them think honestly that before they gangbang, they can kiss a cross, and if they die, they go to heaven. They can go confess to a priest, and if they die, they can go to heaven. Is that what Jesus taught? 
That's not what Jesus taught. Go to Matthew chapter 5, please. Jesus said, not only is murder wrong, but he says, if you're angry with your brother and you curse at him, you're guilty as a murderer. How many have read that before? Go to Matthew chapter 5, further down, you'll see it. Jesus teaches us that murder is not only just taking somebody's life, but it's also cursing somebody out and hating them and taking them for less than the image of God. Look at Matthew 5, 21. It says, you have heard that it was said by people long ago. Somebody say, long ago. So this is how people think. Oh, that was long time ago. Now it's cool to murder. Now it's cool to talk about murder. I was, um, you know, I always get these news feeds on my Facebook, and one of them was a young rapper female, lesbian of all things, right, young rapper female lesbian that had just got murdered. I only think like she was 19 years old. And I went and watched one of her videos, which I regret, had to spiritually wash my eyes out for doing that. But I'm telling you, I'm watching this, and I'm like, what has happened to our young people long ago? That's how they think about it. Somebody say long ago. But they don't understand it's relevant today. You, you trade your sexuality for broken sexuality, you'll never be sexually satisfied. You trade the way you handle problems for God's way, for the devil's way, you're going to always be in turmoil. And this has become normal for our young people. Oh, you've heard it said long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is what? Somebody say angry. Thank you. Angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is basically like calling them a fool, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. How many believe we're supposed to teach that in this generation? But how many know we can't teach young people in, you know, the rap culture about anger if we can't settle it even in our own, car, in our own cars when we're driving back and forth to work? Road rage. We've become such hypocrites. We think we're better than them because we don't rap and we don't do this, this, and that, or we're not into death metal, whatever music is about anger and hate. But you know what? We're just as bad when we're in, we're in traffic, we're in our cars, our kids hear us cursing people out. We're not following the teachings of Jesus. We don't need the world's help to rectify the problems of the world. Christians need to start living like Jesus and be the answer to the problems of this world. Go right back up to where you were. It says, we are the light of the world. Somebody say, I'm the light of the world. Look at what it says, Jesus talking. You see, if you were listening today to the progressive Christianity, they would think what we're teaching is being hateful. But no, Jesus says, when you teach his commands, you are the salt of the earth. You're the Goya, come on, at the barbecue. Amen, somebody? But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. God literally says to us, if you try to progress beyond my commands, if you try to go beyond what I've taught you and you think you're being salty, you're just like the world. You're no different than them. He has not told us to fit in. He has told us to change. He has told us not to be like them but to be different. You are not here to be like the world. You're here to change the world. You're here to season the world with the teachings of Jesus Christ. You're to be seasoned in your job, on your job if it's in corporate America or in a government job or in customer service. You're there to be seasoned and to be a change agent. That's what season does. That's what salt does, rather. It seasons. It preserves. It does a work within the meat and the places it's put. Look at verse 14. You're the light of the world. Somebody say, I'm the light of the world. Thank you. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. We're not supposed to be hidden. It is not supposed to be a surprise to us that when Nini's wants to reopen and he puts up a post and says, just to let everyone know because you all got confused before, we're a Christian-owned business with Christian values. We should not be surprised when he gets 600 comments of hates and threats. Are you guys listening? Because we're the light of the world. We're not supposed to be hidden. When we have church, the news are supposed to come here, whether it's COVID or not. They're supposed to see what we're up to. Come on, somebody. You're not supposed to be hidden. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to be rude and obnoxious, but the Bible says you're supposed to be known as the light of the world. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. How many know for too long Christians have been putting their light under a bowl? Well, I'm a Christian just like you, but you're embarrassing us. You're emba no, no, no. You embarrass me because no one knows you're a Christian. If I was a private investigator sent to investigate your life, I bet you I couldn't find any evidence you're a Christian. Come on, somebody. If someone was to follow you around, would there be enough evidence for you to be considered a Christian? 
You see, they want to put their their light and put it under a bowl. God already called that out. Progressive Christianity is a form of fitting in with the world, and whatever makes us different, don't talk about it. You know what's true to this and their taqiyah is Islam. Islam comes across progressive. They go out to the marches and the women's march, and they act like they're so much more different, even though in their Quran they're allowed to be beat as women. They want to pretend that their cultures are not the worst rated cultures for women's rights. Just in our lifetime, Saudi Arabia has now allowed its women to drive where Mecca is, the home of Islam. They are now allowed to drive. They have not been allowed to drive since, <laughs> since the car's been around. Now they're just getting modernized because Saudi Arabia, like uh, Dubai, wants our Western dollars. But listen to me. They pretend they're on the side of those who are everything liberal against Christianity. But what they're not telling them is they're actually worse than us. They believe in the death penalty for homosexuals. They believe in that in this generation. Do you understand? See, Christians, we come to them in our truth right off the bat. We're not coming to them trying to win friends with them to edge ourselves along so we can have more book sales with Oprah Winfrey and all of those things. We are here to be light to them. We are here to be salt to them. And if they don't like it, we are to pray for them and suffer their persecution. But we are not to hide the truth from them. And sadly, Christians are acting just like the Muslims, pulling the the wool over people's eyes, going, you know, uh, like I listen to T.D. Jakes and some of these other people like Joe Lostein go on these shows, and they go, well, you know, it's not my job to judge. You know, I don't know much about that. When the Bible is as clear as can be. How many know after going through the book of Revelation, we pretty much know who's going to hell? I mean, I'm not saying I know whose name, like which one of us or who here, you know, is going to hell. I hope we're going to heaven. How many want to go to heaven with Jesus? But I'm saying how many know we know what behaviors are going to hell? Go to Revelation 20 quickly, quickly. I want to show you, just in case you're here and you're like, man, I don't know. Who, who really goes to hell? Let me show you who goes to hell. According to the scriptures, cowards go to hell. Those who do not stand up for the truth go to hell. Scroll down a little bit for me, please. I believe it's going to be around verse 18. The judgment of Satan here. And all those who are coming. Uh, let's keep going. I believe it's now in verse 20, chapter 21. I'm already forgetting where these passages are at. Keep on going down. Yes, look at it. Chapter 21, rather, verse 8. But the cowardly. Somebody say the cowardly. The unbelieving. Come on, somebody say the vile. The murderers. The sexually immoral. Those who practice magical arts. All idolaters. All liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Come on, any questions? Any questions, class? Well, I don't believe in your God, okay? Unbelieving's going to hell. Well, I like to be nasty, the vile going to hell. Well, I cuss out people, that's just the way I am. Murderers going to hell. Well, I like checking my horoscope and doing these things. Those who practice magical arts going to hell. Well, I'm too busy for God because I got a job in a college education. Idolaters going to hell. Well, I tried it and it didn't work. All liars going to hell. It doesn't matter. We'll fit you in here. Well, I was raised a Christian, but now in my culture, it seems so weird to be a Christian, so I don't really want to let them know. I've even had people tell me they don't even like the term born again. I argued with a Christian one time on the street. She was like, I don't even like the term born again. I'm like, the term is biblical, ma'am. She's like, well, it sounds like, you know, like we're putting people down if they're not born again. I'm like, that's the whole point. They're supposed to know they're not born again by asking them if you've been born again. Because that's how you get born again is when you know you're not born again. The message is repent, not just come to the party. How do you know what to repent over unless you know what your sins are? I'm not here to be mean. I'm just saying, like, yes, it's going to offend some folks, but we don't stop preaching it. That's what it says. Go back to Matthew, please. When we look at what Jesus is asking us, Matthew 28, he's asking us to be faithful to this. He's saying that you don't change this. If we've had the cure, if we had the cure, rather, for COVID, the real cure, not whatever they're coming up with now in labs and all this. I'm saying, let's say we had the real cure, and I could just, boom, give it to you, and you'd be cured. Wouldn't you take it? Now, would you want to keep working on it? Would you want to water it down? Would you want it to make it taste like cotton candy? If that diluted it and ruined it, it would not have its power, not its potency, right? So those of us here who have Jesus as the cure, why are we trying to water him down? Why are we trying to repallet him for our generation? You know, it's like these vegans. They, they want everything to taste like meat, but they don't want to eat meat. What is wrong with you? You want to take everything from soybean and, and, and these things and change it into a hamburger? Just get a hamburger. 
Well, we want vegan sausage. No, man, just get sausage. We want vegan eggs. Have an egg. There's something called an egg already here. You don't need, you don't need to make this out of tofu with food coloring. Like you honestly, you could just get an egg. How many know what I'm talking about? It's goofy. Like in the world, they're goofy. I get it because that, that is, is, is showing them on the inside they have a taste for this stuff. Yes, you're made to eat meat. In the kingdom of God, you will eat meat with Jesus. Jesus is a meat eater. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you are like, well, he started us off in the garden. Yes, but then he gave us permission to eat meat, and he must like it now because we're going to eat the best of, of meats and aged wines with him in the new kingdom. How many are happy for that? But it says here, my friends, listen. That you have to, I have to go and make disciples of the nations. Now go to Romans chapter 16. I said in the ordination 15, but it's actually 16. I want to encourage you now with people just like you and I who took this call on and who have done it throughout their generation. And now it's time in our generation. I'm going to ask my special Greek-speaking wife to come up here. Let's give it up for Athanasia, who used to be Matseres. Now she's a Vorostic. I want you to read chapter 16, verse 1, all the way down to the end and name all of these beautiful names because most of them are in Greek. And my father-in-law, he's tried to correct me on Greek before. I'm a slow learner. He's from Greece. That's Loniki. So I'm going to have my wife read these beautiful people's names. And I want you to think about people here in this church or your friends at Bible study or those you know in other churches that are good Christians what will be said of us? What will be said of them when this generation has passed? Because we're looking back now 2,000 years into church history. Who were the people that were living for Jesus when their culture was against it? Because in the Roman culture, not only was homosexuality and polyamory and orgies normal, but so was pederasty. Roman soldiers could have little boys follow them for their sexual pleasures. It was allowed. Not only was racism or that, that kind of slavery, you know, uh, taking people's lands and, and taking over their, their wives and their kingdom allowed, but it was also encouraged. Roman soldiers were encouraged to go conquer the northern European lands, take their families, take their land, overcome them, subject them. Not only in that culture were they anti-Christ, but they had themselves temples where you could go and hire prostitutes to do your religious duty. Instead of now you go to a temple like a Catholic church and you light a candle, they actually had religious prostitution where you went to your favorite goddess's place, had sex with the prostitutes in honor of the goddess for a blessed life. Think about how wicked they were. And not only that, they also worshiped their leaders as gods. Those are the Christians of that day. And other than, notice this, other than when Paul clarifies, this is my fellow Jew, you'll notice he'll say that a few times, these are all pagans who came to Christ. Some of them had to give up their lives as martyrs. Some of them, their children, were burned alive, thrown into lion's den or into their arenas to be eaten and to be tortured. These are our brothers and sisters. And so often when we think we're alone, America's declining, this has never been like this before, it may be new for us. It may be sadly, yes, new for our nation, but we're supposed to go back to our brothers and sisters and go, if they could stand against the Roman Empire and all of its false religion and witchcraft and evil and their persecution, we can be faithful. They weren't ashamed of Jesus in their generation. Don't be ashamed in this generation. Amen. Let's read this. Uh, Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. My dear friend Stachis, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. 
Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Uh, greet Philologos, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Thank you. Amen. Bless the Lord. Scroll up just so we can see this in closing. Um, Vinny, would you come, please? What did you sense when you heard these names being written? Yeah, heroes of the faith. I felt like this was like at a, you know, a baseball museum, hearing about all the records set by the famous baseball players, a hall of fame. These folks who went before us, they were passionate for the Lord. And they stood up against whatever was evil in their day. They met in each other's homes. They didn't even have buildings like this. So they met in their homes and they weren't even allowed to go to the temple because at the time uh, the Jews were, you know, turning their back on them. Look at verse 5, this brother here, Epitanus. He was the first convert in the province of Asia. I know you guys might feel alone at times because sometimes you're only the, the only Christian in your family, you know, or in your neighborhood. Imagine being the first Christian in the whole province of Asia. I mean, there's no K-Love to listen to to encourage you. There's no YouTube to turn on. An apostle met you. One of these disciples met you, preached to you, and you're like, yeah, I believe that. And he's like, I got to go. What do you mean you got to go? Well, I got to go tell the next town, the next province. Well, I don't know what to do after this. Just keep praying to the Father in Jesus' name. You know, maybe they would teach him the Lord's Prayer. Maybe they would teach him a part of the gospel. They would memorize it. Think about that. A few more here. Verse 7. Greet this couple, Andrew, Nikus, and Junia, who have been in prison with me. You know, I think of our brothers now and sisters in Canada, many of them being locked up right just, what, what 500 miles from us here? And imagine that that you're in a church today where your pastor's in jail. This is not too far from, from where we live now. And even with myself here in Chicago when they were trying to shut us down, the mayor gave that as a threat. Me and the brother that I was standing with, we didn't know if we were going to get arrested. Who would be preaching today if I was arrested? Would someone take my spot as they're taking the spot of those brothers who are there? And just go down a few more, brother. Just scroll down a little bit for me, please. Look at this as we talk about these uh, women here in our church being ordained as deacons. Trophima and Trophius, these women who work hard in the Lord. How many of you feel like you're working hard for Jesus now? I mean, you're giving it, you're giving it your all. You're believing that what your hard work is going to accomplish is something great in people's lives. But it's still hard work, isn't it? I mean, getting up for church is still like getting up, going anywhere else. You have to get yourself ready. Going to help the youth, you got to put up with youth and young adult attitudes. If you help with the children, you got to change diapers. If you're helping in a life group, you've got to provide for people and take them home if they need a ride. Do you ever feel like you're working hard for the Lord? You're not the only one. What God is asking us in this generation is who is going to be a disciple? Who's going to be one that is as he was to this world that when they see us they'll see Christ not a different version that would be unrecognizable not a Christ that affirms sin and affirms all of the breaking of his commands oh yeah I'm a Christian even though I don't do anything Christ did no not someone like that but someone who lives like Christ who will be like Christ in this generation I pray that our church sets that example I pray that we set that example to this culture just a few more down. Look at this as we get close to the, to the end right here. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. In our culture, in America, we don't really do a, a kiss. You know, Latinos, I think, Europeans, they still do that. But why do you think that was important for them to even mention that? We would say give a holy hug. It was because those were their brothers and sisters. That was their family. Many of their mothers weren't serving God. 
Many of their cousins, uncles, weren't serving God. They were serving the pagan gods, trying to get them to go back to paganism. Hey, come celebrate Bacchus with us. Come to this temple. Oh, it's going to be fun. There's new prostitutes there. And yet he ends this part of greeting, and he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. In other words, show each other love and affection because you're all that you have now. We've been forsaken by our families and our brothers and our sisters and our jobs and our government. And then he sends back to them. Look at what he sends back to them. He says, all the churches of Christ send greetings. There's going to be a day when we're going to be joined together with the other churches and the other Christians. I mean, of course, we have some friends that go to other churches now, but I'm talking on the larger scale. Can you imagine what that's going to be like, brother? When you're sitting there in heaven at the Lamb's Supper, you know, waiting for Christ to come back, should he have not come back already, and you're sitting next to people from the Chinese church, the Romanian church, to the church of Iran, to the church of Africa, you know, in Nigeria, you're going to be sitting next to your brothers and sisters. And you're not going to be talking about, oh, what I used to listen to music-wise or what I used to do for a living. What you're going to do is you're going to greet them and talk about what you did for Jesus, how you worked for the Lord. Can you imagine what that's going to be like when you sit down and you talk to that brother or sister? I think of Iran right now. It's one of the fastest-growing places of Christianity, and yet they just got another dictator in that wants to rule the world through Islam, their Ayatollah. And they... They want to oppress the Christian movement, burn them, capture them, put them in prison, beat them. Could you imagine sitting next to someone who had given their life for Jesus? And you're asking them, man, where did you come from? And they're like, man, I came from Iran. I was preaching the gospel to the different marketplaces. I was on my job. I was secretly accessing the documents on my computer. I was printing out Bibles. I was handing out MP3 players of sermons. You're going to be sitting there. That's your brother. That's your brother. So today, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged that when you're preaching the commands of God, our culture hates us. They've hated Christ. They crucified him. They hated our disciples. But be faithful to Jesus. Love them even when they hate you. Amen. When they're giving you two fingers, give them one. Amen. You come in peace, right? And then remember, we are a family. And go all the way down to the end of Romans now, please. Romans 16. He starts off chapter 1 with the gospel, and look at how he ends with the gospel. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace. Somebody say peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Until we see Satan defeated, we'll keep fighting him in Jesus' name because our battle's not against flesh and blood. My battle's not between Candace and Cardi B. Whose side am I taking? I'm on the Lord's side, and I'm fighting against that old treacherous devil that's been turning us against each other to get on his side. Are you listening to me? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and these powers that come from Satan. Understand this, the God of peace will soon crush him and may the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. Can we stand up today? Raise up our hands and say, God, I want your peace and your grace to spread to this world. Come on, we need the grace of God. Would somebody just say, Jesus, use me to be a disciple. I don't want to hate my enemy. I want to love and pray for my enemy. Altar workers and man, would you come? Thank you, family and friends who came for the ordination. But let's just raise up our hands and surrender and say, Jesus, use me to be a part of the change. Use me, O Lord, to bring grace and peace.